Welcome to the Trust Corner. Innovation in technology has accelerated to unprecedented levels in the last decade. New technology continues to be developed that can solve yet another problem in our daily lives. Unlike other industries, tech companies don't often think about the consequences their technology might have, positive or negative, on the population or the environment. What responsibility should tech innovators have for unintended consequences and how does that affect trust? Our guest today is Rachel Botsman, a leading expert on trust in the modern world. She's a lecturer at Oxford University where she teaches the principles of trust. She's the author of What's Mine is Yours and Who Can You Trust? Rachel has written extensively about trust and has hosted three TED Talks. Welcome to the Trust Corner, Rachel. (laughs) Thank you for having me. We really enjoy having different perspectives on trust and it's important and how important it is for organizations and businesses, including academics and researchers such as yourself. So for our first question, can you please share with us your definition of trust? It's actually, um, trust is very hard to define. I found it interesting that trust has more definitions than love is the most debated sociological concept. But I think of trust as a belief Um, It's what we believe about someone or something. And my definition of trust sounds very simple, which is that trust is a confident relationship with the unknown. So it's a confident relationship with the unknown. And this is so important in the context of technology because systems are and are becoming increasingly complicated. So we have to place our confidence in something unknown. And the more we need something to be visible, the more we need to understand something, the less that we trust it. And that isn't possible with the complexities of technologies. So that's the way I think about trust. Thank you for sharing your definition with us and with our listeners, Rachel. Uh, Trust is still a new business category. And this is what we see uh, from our perspective at uh, SAP. Um, But we also noticed that businesses are finding out more and more that they need to prioritize it. Um, And academics like you have been doing uh, very helpful and amazing research for us to to enable us to do so and writing about trust for years. And now we can really use that research for our business and for our work. Can you share how you first got interested in the topic of trust? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think trust is new for businesses. I think people used to think about trust in the context as more like branding and marketing. But now this idea that trust is inherent and has to be embedded into the business and the culture and the systems and the designs of products and services, that is relatively new. Um, I first started becoming interested in this around 2007. Um, I was doing something very different. I was working for President Clinton at the time, and this was when um, Obama was running president and I was starting to see how technologies, digital technologies were changing the way that you could organize people. They were changing the way information flowed. They were changing voter mobilization and fundraising. And I started to think about this dynamic in the context, beyond the context of politics and started asking myself, everyone's talking about sort of the efficiency of technology, but where is the conversation around trust? You know, how trust is going to 
enable these new connections that have never been possible before. And that's where I started um, studying the connection. And it now seems really obvious, but it wasn't at the time between platforms like eBay and Etsy and the very, very early days of Airbnb and Uber, um, all these platforms that in some way match supply and demand. They match a provider and a consumer. And what I discovered was that there were only a handful of people in the world really looking at this dynamic of, of trust between strangers and how technology was transforming the way that we could trust one another. And that's where it began. Um, wow, almost like 15 years ago, which is really quite hard to believe because so much has changed and evolved and so much has stayed the same, actually. Some of the questions that I asked myself back then are still questions that I ask myself today. So um, it's been a, a fascinating trajectory, really understanding the ways that technology can enable trust, particularly in a context of a world where everyone talks about trust being in a state of decline and that we don't trust the media and we don't trust government and we don't trust politicians and a long, long list. But what I've seen in my work is all the phenomenal ways that we do trust technology and, and what that can unlock in terms of the benefits and new value that it can bring to our lives. Rachel, thank you. It's always interesting for us to hear how our guests found themselves in this space and what served as this inspiring moment for them. As I mentioned in your introduction, you have written about trust and have spoken to very large audiences about the subject. In one of your early TED Talks um, that is called The Currency of New Economy is Trust, you talked about the importance of reputation and, collab and collaborative consumption which basically refers to services like Uber and Airbnb. Do you think this concept is still applicable to large tech organizations or technology innovations a decade later or so? And if so, can you tell us how you see this applicability now? Yeah, I'm going down memory lane thinking about that talk, which now feels like a long time ago. But the basic premise of what I was saying was that sort of in the old world of business, um, and even the way we thought about trust, is we used to think of money as the core currency. And money is, of course, incredibly important. Um, it allows us to buy things and exchange value, but money is what I call the currency of transactions. And if you want to interact with people, um, particularly on platforms where you don't always have an institution or an intermediary, you have to have trust. So if currency, if trust is the, sorry, if money is the currency of transactions, then trust is the currency of interactions. Now, trust is something that is very, very difficult to measure um, because it's a belief and it's highly subjective and highly contextual. Um, so what we tend to do in digital environments is we rely on reputation. Uh, so if trust is what people believe, then reputation is what people say about your capability and character. And what we've seen in platforms, you mentioned Airbnb, you mentioned Uber, but large platforms also like Amazon, um, is that we have these, these reputation mechanisms, uh, which in some way are like these trust signals. They are looking at people's uh, capability. Do they do what they say they're going to do? Does the product or service match the quality? Um, and also their character, um, their integrity and their empathy. And these reputation mechanisms are still quite clunky. They haven't evolved that much. 
but they are the mechanism that we still have to decide whether someone is trustworthy or not. Now, I got a couple of things very, very wrong. Um, I didn't see. Uh, I thought it was going to be much easier to port your reputation from one marketplace or platform to another. So um, as more and more people move to not just gig work, but portfolio work, that they would be able to form sort of a, an aggregate picture of their reputation, how they behave in lots and lots of different contexts. Now, that is actually really difficult to do. And I saw many startups um, try and fail because the marketplaces don't want to share that data. You know, your reputation data is part of how they create lock-in. So that was um, one thing that I got really wrong. And then the second thing that I naively didn't think about enough were the biases that exist in reputation systems. So um, these systems depend on information. They depend on sharing your name and sharing photos and um, all kinds of things about your backgrounds. And, and we make very bad judgments around those small trust signals. Um, it's where our confirmation bias comes in, where we look for people and things that are familiar to us. And therefore, we see all kinds of discrimination problems within these reputation mechanisms. So do I think that reputation as a currency and a signal of trust is still important and still exists in digital platforms? 100%. Do I think these mechanisms are fair and uh, trustworthy and accurate and the best that they can be? Far from it. Um, but this really is in its infancy. You know, if we think about how financial systems evolved uh, over many hundreds of years, we're, we're really sort of in the first chapter of this. Thank you, Rachel. It's really great to see the evolution of your perspective and also the ability for us to look back at the industry and see what we might have missed or what has changed um, over such um, a period of time. So thank you very much for sharing. Uh, we also see that while technology has brought disruption in different industries, trust is still a crucial factor and a critical factor, as you said, um, as well for any businesses, regardless of their size. So now let's talk about how public feels about businesses and other organizations. According to various surveys that we saw, trust in institutions such as governments and NGOs is in decline, while trust in businesses continues to be high. Do you think that this is really what is happening or is there a different explanation or perspective? Um, yes and no. I, I don't want to dismiss these surveys, um, these barometers, because they can be a useful indication of where things are. Um, the problem with them is they are very, very generalized. So do you trust the media? What media? Are we talking about newspapers? Are we talking about social media? Within social media, which platforms? So the context is often missing. So what they often capture is a mood or sentiment that is very, very reactionary to that particular moment. Um, the other thing that we have to be careful is we often don't think about the surveys or the data in terms of over a historical period of time. Um, so trust in governments has always been low. And you don't want particularly high trust in government, right? You want to be slightly skeptical. So the narrative that we hear that trust is in a state of decline, we should question. Um, the other reason why I think 
of course, there is a trust crisis in many different areas of our lives. You know, the lack of trust in experts and authorities and scientific information is is deeply worrying. Um, But what I think is happening is that it's more complex than this. So the way I think of trust is it's a bit like energy. So if you know the principles of physics, energy, it doesn't get destroyed. It's constantly changing form. And this is what's happening to trust right now. So so many patterns of disruption and change can be explained through this lens that I call the trust shift. So if you zoom out and you think historically, uh, what's happened is that trust has really lived and functioned in three chapters. So you had local trust existed for a really long period of time when people lived in small villages and communities and trust was largely based on personal reputation. And then this type of trust wasn't really scalable. So when we wanted to trade internationally, when we started to move into cities, um, when concepts of markets, uh, international markets started to take shape, we invented institutional trust. We invented all kinds of mechanisms, insurance, contracts, brands, which meant the trust didn't have to directly flow between people, it could flow between an institution. Now, local and institutional trust are still very important, they still exist. In fact, actually, we're seeing a resurgence in local trust after the pandemic. But what technology inherently wants to do is it wants to take that trust that for a long period of time has been centralized and controlled and hierarchical and top down, and it wants to distribute it through networks and systems and marketplaces and platforms. And this is this area that I call distributed trust. Now, you can see these shifts um, and they're a really interesting way to actually map innovation and disruption. So if you think about uh, banking, for example, right? Local trust is when we used to barter. You've got a chicken, I've got a pot, we'll exchange it. Um, Institutional trust was the invention of money, centralized money and FICO scores. And then distributed trust is things like cryptocurrencies. You can see it in the media. Uh, the town crier was an example of local trust. Uh, the newspaper was a concept of institutional trust and now social media is distributed trust. I could go on and on and on, but this pattern is playing out at different rates across different industries. And it's very unsettling and it's very disruptive because we haven't figured out We don't entirely understand these new rules of trust. We haven't invented the safety mechanisms that protect people. We haven't figured out regulation and accountability when things go wrong. So that's why you see the mess of cryptocurrencies. That's why you see all these issues with misinformation. And so it's really easy to jump to the conclusion that actually, well, distributed trust is divisive trust. It just divides people but it's just really early on in figuring out how the design of these systems to keep people safe, but also to allow the innovation to happen, how that needs to balance out. Rachel, you mentioned shifts in trust and you gave an example about the pandemic impact. And this is exactly what I was gonna ask you about next. We do see that over the past three years, the world has experienced historical events. We're coming out of the pandemic. We're still experiencing the economic anxiety, uh, potentially employment anxiety for some employees. Uh, There's a war and international conflicts. 
How do you think these types of events have affected trust and technology that we use and that the organizations uh, and in the organizations that have developed them? Well, the the impact is absolutely huge. Um, so, and it exists on many different levels. So if we just take sort of the individual and the personal level, um, trust is the remarkable force in our lives, the only force that enables us to navigate uncertainty. So the more uncertainty, uh, societal and global uncertainty there is in the world, the more trust that we need in ourselves, the more we have to be able to cope with the unknown. So never in our lives have we needed more trust in ourselves to navigate sort of uncertain times. And then you've got this living or playing out a very different level, which is the organizational level. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was looking this morning at the um, IMF and they do this thing called the World Uncertainty Index. And it was showing how uncertainty was uh, declining, like it was going down. And I thought, that's really disconnected from how most organizations feel right now. Because when I talk to leaders, they've got so many different changes and dynamics happening, right? They've got hybrid working and what that really means. Um, they've got massive layoffs, they've got resignations, they've got changing demands um, on uh, the role of work in people's lives, the relationship people have to the organization. And the interesting thing about this, this evolution of work is that it cannot exist without trust in technology. Um, you know, hybrid, and not just talking about Zoom and video conferencing calls, like these mechanisms to connect and to collaborate and to change power and trust dynamics within organizations are dependent on technology. And so, again, it requires a lot of trust that this will play out. And when you have this intense level of behavioral change and power change, of course, it's going to feel very uncertain. Um, the mistake I do see a lot of organizations making, though, is that they focus almost too much on the technology, on the design of the technology and the systems, and they don't think enough about the behavioral dynamics. So I think a lot like a gaming designer, that if you were a gaming designer, I know, say you invented Roblox, like I'd hire that person to redesign the organization because they're thinking completely differently about incentives and rewards and rules and what you can ask people to do and how you empower people to invent their own worlds and this is I think we need more of this kind of thinking in the future of work versus I'm going to create a really good get the best software for a work channel and then I'm going to get people to trust it like it just doesn't work that way you have to really ask yourself what are the behavioral dynamics that you need within the organization? And then what is the technology that enables that behavior to happen? Rachel, in your work, you also refer to the concept of trust leaps. Can you please explain what that means and what you think the next big trust leap will be for the technology industry? Yeah, it's funny. I found my notebook from 2009 where I first wrote down this concept of a trust leap. But a trust leap is... Um, so whenever you're asking someone to take a risk to do something new or to do something differently, um, all technology requires a trust leap. And when you look at uh, 
inventions that failed. Um, it wasn't necessarily that they were bad inventions, let's say Google Glass. It was that people didn't trust them. Um, if you look at inventions that are on the verge of really changing society, so things like GPT and self-driving cars, um, some people, but they are in the real minority, have taken the trust leap. But 99% of people, um, it still feels very unknown, very unsafe, very unfamiliar. So um, people's willingness to take a trust leap actually controls and influences um, the adoption of that technology. And the interesting thing about trust leaps is they are highly dependent on what we call social proof. So um, just to use an easy example, Airbnb, when I first started talking about Airbnb in 2008, and I'd say to audiences, okay, how many of you are guests on Airbnb? And like two people would raise their hand. And how many of you are hosts on Airbnb? And like no one would raise their hand. And now if I ask that question today, 80% of people maybe have been a guest on Airbnb and maybe 20% have been a host because that trust leap has happened. It has changed the way that we travel. This idea of uh, renting a home from a stranger and staying, it, it now feels like normal behavior. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about trust leaps is at the time they seem really strange and, and risky and unfamiliar. And then once they've happened, we almost can't imagine going back to that place where it felt strange and risky. So again, it's one of those things, um, you know, I'm really lucky that I get to meet these incredible entrepreneurs and designers and they're coming up with these incredible inventions. And I say, yeah, but like, what trust state are people in around this? Like, what is their relationship to the risk in this product and service, whether that risk is real or whether it's perceived? Because those trust barriers, you have to overcome them in order for people to make the leap and to adopt that new product service um, or technology and to change their behavior. And a lot of them are probably asking you, how can they shorten the time until the leap happens? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I have been asked that question many times. So how do we accelerate the trust leap? Um, it's, it's a really big, complicated question. But the one thing I would say is, um, if you are the designer or the inventor of that product, you will think the leap will happen exponentially faster than it will um, because you are familiar with that product. You understand the benefits of that product. And it's actually really hard to go back and imagine why people go, well, why is this thing risky? Why don't I understand it? Why does it feel unfamiliar? So that is my first thing is you have to actually go back to like the beginner's mind around how people are going to perceive this product and service because you as the inventor, the creator, the owner, the entrepreneur, it's going to be very hard to even see what the real trust leap is. And the second thing I'd say, which is always fascinating, is often what people think is the trust leap is not what actually turns out to be the trust leap. And there's many wonderful, this isn't a new thing. Um, so if you look at like the introduction of elevators or even like uh, fast moving trains, um, People thought, oh, with elevators, people, sorry, with trains, people thought people would be worried that the trains would fall off the tracks. That's what their trust leap, they thought the trust leap would be. But actually, they were worried that at high speed, their organs would fly out. Now, that seems ridiculous, right, today, and that would have probably been laughable to the engineers, but it was completely different from what the inventors imagined, and that's the key point with trust leaps. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. We also read your article 
tech leaders can do more to avoid unintended consequences. So what do you think tech entrepreneurs and leaders and business leaders can learn from the cases of unintended consequences that you mentioned in the article? Yeah, I mean, it might be worth just capturing what I mean by unintended consequences. So um, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs create something and then it scales in a way that they never imagined. So in the article you're referring, I talk uh, to the inventor as a Raskin of the infinite scroll. And when he invented that, he was trying to solve a problem, which was that... Um, at that time, you had to sort of click next on pages on the web. It was a really clunky experience. And he wanted it to completely be immersive and seamless the way you absorb information. Now, he couldn't see that the infinite scroll would be taken from what he thought was solving a user experience problem to um, being the tool that hooks people into social media, that you would just keep infinitely scrolling. And the unintended consequence of his invention is that, in his own, own words, it's created, um, you know, real addiction problems. And he lives with that for the rest of his life. Um, the Airbnb founders, when they came up with that platform, they didn't think that they were going to damage uh, local communities far from it. They didn't think that they were going to cause rent inflation because landlords would have such control in terms of commercial supply of the platform, that was an unintended consequence. So this is really important for entrepreneurs is, is to really imagine their ideas at scale. And if you came and you saw that idea in 30 years time to actually imagine, and I think we shouldn't call them unintended, we should call them unanticipated consequences. What are the impacts of this that I actually need to be thinking about if this idea really functions at scale, but also if someone comes along and takes this idea and puts it in a really different context in people's lives, what are the potential um, impacts that it can have? Now, th this is a dancing act, right? Because you could drive yourself crazy an entrepreneur thinking of all the negative consequences and never come up with anything. But I do think entrepreneurs have a responsibility to think about the impacts of their technologies when they actually reach scale. Thank you, Rachel. So for my last question, I'd like to ask you if there's any advice that you'd like to share with our listeners regarding trust or how to build trusted technology. Um, well, the first thing I'd say is, um, funny enough, I, I wouldn't think of trust as something that you can build. Um, when you think about building trust, and it's, it's language that's everywhere, you assume that you have control, right? I'm going to put these security and privacy mechanisms in place, and then people will trust my technology. When you think about it, trust is something you have to earn. The user, the customer, the client, they are the ones with the choice whether to give you their trust. So rather than thinking about, I'm going to design a, a product or service and I'm going to build trust in it, and then it's sort of this fixed thing and we're done, um, my piece of advice would actually be would be constantly saying, how do I continuously earn trust in this product or service? Thank you so much, Rachel, once again, for sharing your insights and perspective and really giving us a new angle on trust that we potentially haven't even heard before. Uh, so we're very grateful for that and we're looking forward to collaborating and hearing from you once again. Thank you for joining us on the Trust Corner. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you.
take care.